This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Insurance company AIG, which was bailed out by the government in 2008, recently settled a lawsuit with the government in which it will pay $960 to $970 million for misleading investors about the company's health leading up to the financial crisis. The settlement covered eight lawsuits that reached class action status on behalf of numerous investors. But now, in an interesting twist, former AIG CEO Maurice Greenberg has filed suit uh, in class action status along with other shareholders against the government for shortchanging the insurer and making a, quote, grab unquote, of almost 80% of the 80% stake in the company that the government took when the bailout happened. And Greenberg is being bankrolled by a group of Wall Street financiers whose names, from my knowledge, have not been released, nor the amounts they have contributed to this cause. To try and make sense out of some or all of this, we are joined by Penn Law Professor David Skeel, who joins us on the phone. David, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. If... I mean, it's interesting that we, we, we've come to this point, but if the government, you know, is quote-unquote made a grab, then I guess this lawsuit is a grab back? Is that the best I, way to explain it? I think that's a very good way to, to uh, explain it. There are a number of people who felt like they were mistreated by the government at the height of the crisis in 2008 that are trying to get a piece of, of what they think was taken away from them right. back. And this case... Uh, seems to be the most promising of, of the cases along those lines. Why so? Because what the government did with AIG was was very different um, from the way it handled everyone else. The other banks got pretty direct bailouts where the government didn't try to take, or, or the banks got pretty direct bailouts where the government didn't try to take a direct stake in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more a traditional bailout. But with AIG, the government uh, took 80% of the equity of the company and, and also charged uh, effectively a very, very high uh, rate of return for the money that it gave. So there was no question that the AIG bailout was different than the others. Yeah, because the, the, the total amount, I guess, that AIG pay, paid back ended up being about double what it was originally loaned? Uh, the government made a huge profit yeah. off AIG. That's, that's correct. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is a suit that uh, I didn't even realize. It's kind of been in the works now, the one that that Mr. Greenberg and this other group of, of uh of investors is putting forward. This has kind of been in the works for, what, about three years now, and and already there's been about $10 million invested in this case? Uh, It is a big case, and in fact, it was two cases. Uh, Star, which is the the plaintiff in these cases, is a shareholder connected with uh, Ace Greenberg of AIG, sued both in the Southern District of New York, so a federal court, a trial court in New York, and in the Court of Federal Claims in D.C. The, the New York case got thrown out, and the, the case we're talking about today did not get thrown out. So uh, this goes back almost three years, as you said, and it's two different cases, and it's now coming to a head. And from what I've been reading, we're expecting to see 
uh, quite a few heavyweights, uh, Wall Street, I should say uh, government heavyweights, former uh, executives, that are going to be questioned about how and what they did. We're talking about Ben Bernanke, Tim Geithner, uh, John Paulson in this as well. I mean, they're they're all scheduled to be talking with uh, with the courts later this week. Uh, that is right. It's possible that we could get all three of them this week. I doubt we. I, I doubt it's all. It all happens this week because they're going to be on the stand, each of them, for a long time, for, for something like 10 hours, which is more than a day of testimony. So it'll probably spill into at least next week. But we, we are getting the three titans of the 2008 bailouts uh, in this trial now. So that this is definitely big news. That's funny. We were just talking about mortgages. And, you know, Ben Bernanke is probably still rattled from not being able to refinance his, his, his home loan for the, that he had the problem with last week. Now he's got to deal with this. Uh, this is right. And, and uh, he did refinance AIG and a lot of other folks, even though he couldn't get his own house yeah. refinanced. Go into, if you can, a little bit. I mean, we talked about it briefly at the top, but, but really what is the guts of what Greenberg and, and these other uh, investors really feel the government did to them and their investment in AIG? Well, there, there are several different pieces to it, but the heart of it is that, uh, that these shareholders are arguing that the government forced AIG to take the government's deal. And the initial deal was the government would, uh, would lend $85, million, or $85 billion to um, to AIG in return for, for getting the convertible stock that was going to give the government 80% of the common stock of AIG. Um, so the, that's the starting point of what they're complaining about. What, what uh, the shareholders are saying is the terms of the deal were onerous, they were unfair, and AIG was forced to take it. Um, and the, the kinds of arguments they make are – the government had threatened publicly not to give any um, any rescue line to AIG. Right. The government had threatened to blame AIG for the entire crisis and for everything that ha- happened afterwards. And when you put these kinds of uh, arm twisting together, the AIG didn't have any choice but to take this deal, and the deal was was a, a complete loser from AIG shareholders perspective yeah and the interesting part about this is the fact that uh, you know without the bailout aig would be no more they would have gone the way of enron correct that's right and i think that's the toughest uh part of the case from the shareholders perspective they they have to be able to argue that their stock was worth something in Mm -hmm. september of 2008 at a time when it it looked like they were just going to crash um and so there's been a lot of arguing about whether this $85 billion lifeline was, was unfair and whether it was a taking. Um, that is an important set of arguments. But even if they were to win, in a sense, on that, the shareholders are going to have to say they would have gotten more than zero if it hadn't been for the government intervention. And I think that's going to be hard to, to – it's going to be a hard case to make. Yeah, because the, the original loan – that uh, that AIG got from, I guess it was from the New York Fed, that was a, a, a large chunk of money for the New York Fed to handle, correct? 
Oh, absolutely. And it, it started out at uh, $85 billion. It ultimately went up to $182 billion. So this was a, this was a major intervention by, um, by, the, by the Fed, by any yardstick that, that you would use. Right. We're talking with uh, Wharton professor, law professor David Skeel here on Knowledge at Wharton, Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about the current case uh, in the court systems uh, that uh, uh, that former AIG CEO Maurice Greenberg has brought forth, uh, as well as being bankrolled. And I guess this is the interesting part, uh, David, is that they are being he is being bankrolled by Wall Street to push this forward. That is incredibly interesting, and I still don't fully understand the backstory to that. You you alluded to uh, some of the interesting dimensions of this at the top. The fact that Wall Street is is bankrolling this. Uh, Ace Greenberg is not poor. It's not clear why he would need this bankrolling, and it's also very interesting to speculate about why Wall Street would be contributing to this. It's it's a a really, really interesting dimension of the case. Unfortunately, a lot of the details are still private. We don't know exactly who's bankrolling it. Uh, yeah. I've not seen the, the particular agreement that was used to, um, uh, as far to, to determine what uh, what Wall Street was getting in is getting in return for their investment. But it's incredibly interesting. Yeah, and, and basically, I've read a couple of articles that 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 seem like to point out that. For those people that are bankrolling this, this is is almost a no lose situation because they yes they are putting money into the the court case for Mr. Greenberg, but even if they lose, they won't be losing a ton of money where their perspectives are. If he wins, they they're going to be bringing in a portion of whatever he brings in. Yeah, so it's it's possible that from this perspective. It's just a straight investment. You know, this is a, the kind of thing Warren Buffett does. Is you look at a difficult situation, and if you see an opportunity to make money, you you take that opportunity to take money. Um, but the political dimensions of the case are so big mm-hmm. that you have to imagine there's a little bit of that in there too. That these folks were thinking about the political repercussions, and for whatever reason, they wanted to be part of the show. <laughs> what kind of what kind of repercussions could could they realistically face in this situation? Well, I'm not thinking so much the repercussions um, that they would face. I mean, it is possible. It's always possible yeah. that the government can punish you for getting involved in something the government doesn't like. And, yeah. and in my view, that has happened over the last few years. But more in terms of the publicity effect. You know, okay. When you're thinking about this case, do you want to be known as somebody who threw their weight behind the shareholders, or do you want to be known as somebody who said, you know, the government had a really messy situation in 2008, and they did the best they could. And it sounds like at least some on Wall Street are going with the first option, yeah. um, saying, you know, that the shareholders seem to have gotten stiffed. We're talking with uh, Wharton professor, or I should say Penn Law professor, David Skeel, uh, joining us on the show here. Uh, Greenberg, the the claim that he's made, I, I've read a, a, a variety of different theories on why he's doing it, but the, the general consensus is is that he's really going up a, a, a steep hill in, in trying to pull this off, isn't he? I think it's a pretty steep hill, and and part of the backstory there is 
Um, Hayes Greenberg was forced out of AIG uh, a number of years ago. He's been bitter about that. Um, he's really unhappy with what the government did with a AIG in 2008. And mm -hmm. so from his perspective, I think to a certain extent, this, this litigation is, um, is a grudge match with the government. And he's probably willing to take a relatively uh, high, pursue a relatively high risk case. On the other hand, the claims are not silly. It's clear that AIG um, got got treated in a very unusual way in September of 2008 and thereafter. So this is this is not a crazy case. I, I like I said earlier, I think the trickiest thing from the shareholders' perspective and therefore from Greenberg's perspective is to show that AIG. Um, was worth something, that the stock was worth something in September 2008. And let, let me uh, just throw out one interesting tidbit, or at least I think it's interesting, along those lines. From the government's perspective, this is, there's a tricky little dance that uh, the government needs to, to pursue. Uh, the government had a stake in saying that AIG did have some value to it and was not a completely worthless company because mm -hmm. the, the government, and particularly the three folks who will be testifying this week, have been arguing that, AI, that Lehman Brothers did not have value, that the government sure. was not able to, to bail out Lehman because Lehman was too financially unhealthy. So for the last uh, several few years, the government and and Tim Geithner and Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke have all been saying Lehman was in awful shape, AIG was in okay shape. Now they want to be saying AIG actually wasn't in okay shape. The shareholder shares weren't worth anything. So from the government's perspective, this is a little bit tricky, too. They've got to walk back some statements they've made over the last few years. Right, and, and, it, and it will, in, in some cases, I would think it's going to bring out some of the, the the dealings, as you alluded to, that they did to basically get these banks back up and running and, and the differences between the two or three, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And, and it's now six years after the height of the crisis. There's still lots of things we don't know uh, about exactly what the government did with the bank bailouts and with Lehman and with AIG. And so yeah. one of the real public service benefits of this case, I think, is that we could get um, a better handle on what happened than, than we've had before. I think we may get some genuinely important new information through the testimony that's coming up. Is there is there a belief, though, that... In the end, what was done for AIG ended up being the best for the company because of the fact that a they're still in operation and, and they're not you know under they're not literally under the water and, and out of business. I think yes, from a thirty thousand foot level. So okay. if if the question is is AIG better off because the government intervened, I think the answer is clearly yes. But um, but it also seems pretty clear that the government didn't have to be quite as heavy-handed as they were. And also, there's a lot of debate about what the government um, uh, induced AIG to do with that money that it got. One of the things that AIG ended up doing was paying all the counterparties to its derivatives in full. People like, or institutions like, like um, Goldman Sachs is, is the one folks tend to focus on. 
it's not clear that AIG had to pay all of them 100 cents on the dollar. So sure. even if you think government intervention was a good thing, you can quibble about how much it cost AIG and whether it could have been a little cheaper for AIG. Right. But that's obviously that's something that's all going to kind of play out here in, in court over the next, what are we talking about, five, five to six weeks that, that, that this case will probably run? I'm not sure if it's quite that long, okay. but I, I think it will be a good month. So, and it could be it could be that long. This is this case is not going to be ending this week by any stretch of the imagination. And, and certainly, this also puts the the judge in this case, Tom Wheeler, straight in, in the middle of all this, because of the fact that he has to kind of go through all of this and and, and make a decision one way or the other. Correct. That is exactly right. One of the distinctive features about the Court of Federal Claims, which is the particular court where, where this case is, is that there are no jury trials. Yeah. Uh, so the judge is the one that is making the decision here, and there there is a lot of weight on him. And um, the weight is reinforced by other other factors, such as the profile of the case, and also by the fact that another parallel case was kicked out. Uh, so, um, so he is the main game in town now, and and he's the one that's going to have to ultimately make, be making the decision. We're talking about the uh, AIG lawsuit currently in uh, the court systems. Uh, big week coming up, uh, it looks like, uh, because of some of the people that will be testifying uh, in front of Judge Tom Wheeler uh, in this case. And as we alluded to uh, before, we're going to have three former heads uh, of uh, major sectors of the government from the financial perspective, the lead one being Ben Bernanke, who obviously now is um, he, he is he is not a member of the government, as we as we alluded to. So in terms of of what Mr. Bernanke would say, could say, uh, what situation is he in right now? Well, he's. I think he's in the same situation as uh, as Hank Paulson, the former Treasury Secretary, will be in, and, and Tim Geithner will be in. At this at this point, none of them is still in office. But um, in a sense, they're they're defending their legacy. Yeah. They're defending what was done in in two thousand and eight, and what they say and what happens in this case is likely to have pretty uh, significant ramifications going forward. If, if it turns out that there's a big victory against the government and the, and the government is found to have abused its power um, in these particular, uh, these three uh, officials in particular, we may end up, uh, or Congress may end up, tying future decision makers' hands. And so uh, I think to... to boil it down, you would say two things very much on, on uh, Paulson's and Geithner's and Bernanke's minds um, are their legacy and what they did in 2008 and eight on the one hand and on the other, what all this means going forward, what kinds of powers decision makers are, are thought to have and, yeah. and how much flexibility um, they will have in the future. So, so there's, there's a lot involved. And we've seen that obviously we were talking about mortgages uh, right before you came on is the fact that you know the the banking industry has has seen a lot of what they normally had done with mortgages cut way back because of the housing bubble. Uh, could we see not maybe to that extent but could we see certain things happen with the Treasury Department and the, and the Fed 
where they get pulled back on, on certain things that they may normally have done in the past. I think absolutely. And in fact, the, the financial legislation that came out of the crisis, the, the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, has already moved in that direction. One of the yeah. things that the Dodd-Frank Act did was it, it significantly constrained the Fed's ability to do extraordinary bailouts. Uh, the Fed, at least in theory, no longer can bail out individual institutions. Yep. So, uh, so, so the Fed could not do what it did with AIG under the Dodd-Frank Act of, of 2010. So um, we've already seen some constraining of governmental powers. A case like this could could reinforce that, or it could go in the opposite direction. It could be that the court ends up saying, you know, it was a crisis. Um, the the Fed and the Treasury uh, uh, did the best they could under the circumstances. We really can't tie their hands. So it's also possible that this case pushes a little bit in the opposite uh, direction and, and pushes in favor of more flexibility. I, I wonder if we are more likely to see the one outcome where you were just alluding to the fact that, you know, the government was under a, an amazing strain and they had to do what they needed to do to, to basically keep AIG afloat. I, I'm, I'm wondering what your feeling is on the percentage, if you were to, you know, to lay it out there, that that, that would be the most likely outcome to this case. Um, it's really hard to tell. My guess is that at the very uh, least, uh, the government is government's wrist is going to be slapped. Um, the yeah. judge in this case has already signaled, I believe, in in the in a ruling he issued earlier, which uh, refused to dismiss the case. The government had asked for the case to be dismissed. The judge has already signaled that some of what the what was done with AIG seems a little bit problematic. So the kind of outcome I can imagine in this case, if I had to predict, and, and uh, please don't ask me what my record on predictions is, <laughs> because it's not very good. Um, but if I had to predict, my, my prediction would be that the shareholders lose the case, that um, that the, the judge says it's, it's just not clear they, their stock was going to be worth anything in the fall of 2008. But the judge has a lot of choice words for what the government did, um, because the government really did push the envelope in this case. Sure. And, and I think the court will at least indicate that in the opinion. And I think that's a good thing. One of the yeah. things I've been really disappointed by with the judges at, at all dimensions of the 2008-2009 uh, crisis, the, the uh, New York uh, decision in, in this case, um, the court's decisions in the GM and Chrysler cases. The thing that's really been disappointing to me is um, that the courts have not um, they've not cautioned the government and not criticized the mistakes that the government made. And yeah. I think this judge is, is going to make those criticisms. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out, especially the commentary we're going to get from Messrs. Bernanke and Geithner and, and Paulson this week. And uh, I know you'll be watching. I'll be very interested to see, see how this all plays out this week. Obviously, it's not going to have a decision for you know a few weeks, but uh, but they're they're on the front lines on this one. Uh, David, thanks very much for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate your uh, your insight. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and, and I will be watching this case along with you. Thanks, David. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.